And so as, this, as uh, we take this, we sing the doxology. So would you sing with me? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Don't know if that's me. Could be. So we're, we're in January, we're in this series called Soul Therapy, um, and to deal with the deep things of life, and last week Nate spoke on addiction, which was so good. Today I'm talking about anger. Uh, so much of what I'm talking about on this journey for health is from Dan Allender and Temper Longman wrote this book called The Cry of the Soul. So good. And as we talk about these things that we're going to be talking about, like depression and anger and insecurity and addiction, um, we're not family ties. It doesn't get settled in the course of 30 minutes, right? We're not a sitcom. Uh, It's hard. It's complicated. It's deep. It's messy. um, And it brings things to the surface and gives fewer answers, but creates more conflict, right? Creates more chaos, And so, in some ways, we are trying to create a little chaos. Uh, We want to give you permission, not just to be a little bit angry, but I want to give you permission to rage. I don't want you to be a little bit angry. I want you to really be alive into the reality of your anger, because if you're like me, I guarantee that it's larger than what you're giving it due. And it has extreme consequences for how you live and your relationships with others, which is so important but also your relationship with God. Most of us maybe have not found the freedom to be angry. It wasn't appropriate. One, you can't be angry with God because God has never done anything wrong and you should suppress your anger towards others as well. So today, if you hear anything, I want to give you freedom to be mad, to be angry. Let me check this connection here. Cell phone is in my pocket. I'll move that. Right? So I, wanna, I want to say not let your anger be small. Let it be greater. You've come in with a context, right? And maybe a good portion of you have a context of being angry even though you wouldn't admit it. Angry at life. Angry at circumstances. Angry at that. And I want you to be pissed. I want you to allow it, right? And so we may create some disruption today, right? We... That's the hope. The hope is not to squelch it. Even though some of it is dark anger, intense anger, I, I want you to recognize it. And so, and then, and then today, our hope, our prayer, because um, today will not be the hard work. Right? Today is just going to be, are you going to be willing to listen to ponder, to perceive? Will you be vulnerable enough to be honest with your anger? Right? Will, will, will you go there? I hope you can. I hope you can perceive it. We do a little chant before the service, and our word was today, be angry. 
It's weird, right? <laughs> but anger was a part of worship in the liturgy of God's people. And so today, as we talk about soul therapy, we're talking about anger, and we're going to try to bring it up. And so as God brings up stuff, I encourage you to write it down, not to run from it, not to avoid it, um, to, to welcome it, and, and then we're going to try to, by God's grace, to give some tools of what to do with it when we do recognize it. It's going to be hard. Um, Jesus talked about Pharisees, and he said these things about Pharisees, and he was like, he listened to them. You know, listen to what they say, just don't do what they do, because they don't do what they say. And so let me be honest with you. I'm going to talk about stuff that I'm not doing. Why? Because it's more painful. I want to do it. I'm trying to recognize it, and I want to step in um, and do the hard work. And so as God gives us grace today and tomorrow, maybe to take a step, may, may we be able to do it. But I guarantee you, you do not have the strength in yourself to tackle this. And neither do I. You don't have what it takes in order to engage this. And so we must be weak and allow God to help us to be strong because we're going to go down a little hole that's nasty. Are you glad you're here? <laughs> God have mercy. I felt the shakes this morning as I was getting ready for this, and I'm probably going to have a few Joel Osteen moments where I start crying these beautiful tears, yet with a weird smile on my face. <laughs> so be prepared. It's going to get weird. Um, but it's going to be good. That's my hope. So let me, um, let me invite the hope that we have, the help that we have, so that we could go to a place that maybe we have not been willing to go to for a long time, if ever. And that's messy. So God, you've, you've heard the prayer, and you know the context of every life in here. And if those details were shared in this microphone, they would drop everyone to our knees, and we'd be mad to know the injustice that has happened in this world and their lives, the hurts and harms that have been caused. God, we'd be mad to know the things that have been allowed to happen in people's lives, and we'd be mad to possibly even see your inactivity in so many areas that we long for a different outcome. Let us not be afraid of that. And so by your grace and your help, Holy Spirit, living God, come. Dwell among us in all of our weirdness and brokenness and sorrow and pain and anger. And let us see you. That you are not the God who runs from it, but who comes near. Come, Holy Spirit, and meet us. Amen. So, um, the cry of the soul, if you like to read and you want to dig into this, um, Dan Allender. Um, so, here, let's start with this for today. Discipleship is follow-through. Can you say that with me? You know what that means? That, uh, that's meaning that being um, connected with Jesus and, and growing and learning about who God has wired us to be, it's about sort of hearing, but it's about doing. It's about follow-through. 
It's about what we hear today, wanting it to lead to some place that would lead to some action. So discipleship's about follow-through, and so that makes it really hard what we're talking about today. Because it means there's movement in potentially places we don't want to go. I don't want to go there. Because we're talking about anger. So when was the last time you were angry? Can you think about it? Today? This morning? Yesterday, right? Do you have a scenario when you think, when was the last time I was angry? Can you remember? I was angry. I mean, I've been angry a lot, right? I, I can connect to anger. I was angry on Saturday to Monday. That was the, my primary emotion of those days. <laughs> I, I had a roofing job that was potentially trying to get done. It's, it's halfway done. I don't have any gutters yet or anything like that. And I, I felt like the roofer was trying to take me, right? So he, he said some things that doubled the price of my job once he tore off a quarter of the roof, right? And I had enough money to pay for that job, not the double job, right? Um, and he said some things that made me suspicious of what he said. So I, I was angry. One, I was like, oh, goodness, we're trying to do this thing for our house that's good for my wife. We have uh, we re- refinanced the house in order to be able to pay for these kinds of very significant jobs in order to make things healthy for the anxiety and fear that's being caused around our home and did that stuff. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, it could be double. I didn't have double. So I said, all right, we got to do what we got to do in order to make this work. So let's try something else. And then in the end, it felt like he was just trying to get more money. And that made me mad. And I sat on that, so, so much so that when the crew actually showed up on Monday to do this job, I hired another roofer to come and watch their work. Because I did not trust him. Right? I, to pay them to be like, I'm going to count every piece of everything to make sure I'm not being taken. And when I get a chance, I'm going to write a nasty review. Right? I, I'm going to let people know, do not trust this guy. Right? I, I was, and so, so th- th- that, that's, that's anger, but that's really, it's like, eh, a roofer, jobs and things like that. Who, who really cares? Right? That, that's significant. But I tell you what, the more scary, angry ones is when we're angry at people we love. Right? That's, that's the ones that get scary and mean and nasty. Angry at our spouses when we can't tell them. Angry at our parents. Because, you know, angry with our kids, angry with our coworkers, angry with God. Those are the ones that get really weird, right? Those are the ones that start to scare me. I, I can be angry with drivers and traffic and long lines, but really that's pathetic, right? That's, that's not the stuff that hurts. It reveals something of our heart, but it's not the deep stuff, right? My worst day of this last year and again, this is going to be telling because this is a ridiculous thing to be the worst day of my last year. Because <laughs> I had a lot of bad days last year. And I, like, like, I, I had one moment say, hey, what was, the, what was the worst day, your lowest day of last year? Right? And th- there was a moment my wife went into respiratory failure, right? Had to be intubated. Th- that's not the worst day of my last year, even though that probably should be. The, the day that I was the angriest last year, it's when I was supposed to go on this trip. Right? I was supposed to be able to leave town for a few days 
to go to this um, conference that was about um, renewal and being stronger, right? And all this stuff for like soul and energy and all this kind of stuff. And it didn't hurt that it was going to be in San Diego, right? That's another good thing. I was going to be gone for a few days, and I thought I had everything lined up to be able to take care of my family. And, and on, like, 30 minutes before I was supposed to go to the airport, Carmel says to me, don't go. And we kind of have the rule, right? You just got that thing, you know. I, I, my first commitment is to my family. She says, don't go. And I'm like, all right. And I began to unpack my bag. Mad as hell. <laughs> right? So mad. Right? Putting away things loudly. You know, but just angry. Angry because I, I had this plan of something I was going to be good, I was going to experience, and I didn't get to do it. I was mad at her for um, maybe not pushing through the fear that she was having that if something goes wrong with her health. I was mad of her of not being, you know, I, I was mad. I, I, I was mad. I, I potentially, I believe I was mad at God for just allowing these circumstances to continue to play out for so long. Uh, you know, and what do you do with this? And so I stood in it. Right? And I just, so when were you mad? What are you supposed to do with that? Having you mad with your parents and stuff, and you just can't say it. So what are we supposed to do with all this? James 1 says this stuff about anger, right? And it says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Right? And so my, my father, father-in-law spoke on this and gave this word to us at one time. I remember, he's like, this is such great advice, right? Be slow. He called it this, this um, quick, slow, slow, Right? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because this whole text is about anger. Because the righteous anger of men, or the, the, the anger of humanity doesn't produce righteousness. It's not for our good. It doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires. So be slow to it. And be quick. Man's anger, humanity's anger... It, the, the hum, human anger, we call maybe the dark anger, doesn't produce the, the God's desires for us. The righteousness, but yet it can lead us to someplace really good. That's where we want to go. Genesis 4 is the first text about people being angry, right? And uh, I love this story for a number of reasons, but Cain and Abel. Um, and it says this in Genesis 4, verse 2, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. These were the first children of humanity. Um, as the authors of the scriptures write it, Cain and Abel, the offspring of Adam and Eve, early in the book, Cain brought the fruit of the land, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the first flock, the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. I know it's dumb, but I do like this because God really liked the smell of the barbecue. <laughs> Didn't like the fruits and vegetables as much. It started in Genesis 4. So that is stupid. I agree. But pastors, we need, you're going to need every little bit of jokes today that we give you. So. But here's the part where it came up. It says, The Lord looked favorably on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. 
So God was pleased with one of these offerings, and it was seen. It somehow was noticeable that they both were freely offering these things to God, and God was like, wow, well done. Well done, son, for, for that offering. And to the other son, he made it clear, right? <laughs> it was noticeable to him. It wasn't as pleasing. I don't know how that came to be, and that's really interesting, right? For some of us, you know, right, who can't even be honest in those moments. Here's God being really honest about these offerings. One was pleasing, one wasn't. That's so interesting. Um, and in that moment, Cain was angry, right? That's what it says. Cain was angry, and his face became downcast, right? Because anger tightens up. I mean, right? Our blood begins to flow. Our heart pumps. Uh, it, it shows. It shows in your body, and you carry it with you. And here's so awesome from the beginning. Here's God engaging the conversation. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? What's going on here? Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? Three great questions. If you don't do it right, sin is crouching at your door, desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Cain, at least in the text, Cain answers none of these questions, this dialogue, this pondering, where God's asking Cain these questions, what's going on? Why are you so mad? And sin's at your door. It's ready to go. It wants to rule you. We can go another way if you want. Well, Cain doesn't respond to this. In verse 8, it says, Now Cain says to his brother Abel, Let's go to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The first response of um, dangerous, dark anger, right? So we can see this doesn't lead to that. This emotion is usually provoked by these encounters that we have with people. Right? Where they do something that angers us in some way. These emotions provoked by people, but so often they reflect something of this sort of vertical relationship with God. And so today, today, as we talk about anger, even though so many are connected to people, I'm going to challenge you to go to a deeper place. To the place of that vertical connection of being angry with God. There is a horizontal connection, meaning that our anger is directed towards people. Absolutely. They attack us. They come against us. They abandon us. They've done wrong to us. And we're angry with them. But under all that human anger, typically, if not all the time, it can also be brought to God. Why'd you let this happen? How come this is going on? Why didn't you intervene? Why don't you punish them? Why do they seem to be getting off scot-free? Right? The God doesn't seem to be dispensing justice. And we say, now, do something, and God doesn't. So today, as there is so much, and many of you experience tragedy against people who have harmed you and hurt you, today, I'm going to choose to take this to God and encourage you to do that, that meaning and anger that is towards God. I'm not eliminating there's an anger towards other people. And there's so many steps that could be taken in order to address that anger of people, in order to um, speak it out loud, the offenses that they have done, to approach them with love and to call it out, to expose them. 
right? Order for good and to warn them, give them a chance to repent. In some cases, even to wound them by speaking truthful words about how they have harmed you or others that they need to hear in order for the sake for repentance and reconciliation to happen. That's a huge other thing. If you want to get into that, that's not going to happen today. But today we're going to talk about this idea of being mad at God. Because for so many of us, when we look at these things in that, we can be mad at life. But that's just a generic and impersonal way of saying, God, I'm really mad at you, but I don't feel like I'm actually allowed to be mad at you. I'm mad at life. I'm mad at life that caused the chaos in my own marriage. I'm, I'm mad at life that I chose a wrong career or whatever it was, you know, and then it went down a bad road. I'm mad at life that somehow I lived here and these things happened to my family. I'm mad at life for these ongoing circumstances of death and sickness that has come in there. I'm mad at life that for whatever reason, my money doesn't seem to grow or increase and it just continues to dwindle. I'm mad because it always seems to be these other things that trip us up and it's continually just trying to scratch and scrape in order just to get by? Does one of those connect to you? Mad that, you know, that you were born into the family that you were born into. With all the dysfunction and the addiction and the pain and the abuse, that you had the father that you had who was cruel and mean and abusive, or the uncle or the neighbor or the teacher, you were placed in that place. It was not by choice. Did God not know? Absolutely. And so I invite you to be be angry. And if you're like me, you're like, I don't like that. We aren't supposed to be angry with God. What happens if I start to cuss at God? Can I call him an a-hole, but not an -er? (laughs) mf'er? I can't even say it out loud, right? I'm, I'm too timid. In my closet, believe me, I'm saying it. I want us to be provoked. Be provoked by our anger. And allow ourselves to know that there's a vertical component to it. Towards God. And have that freedom to go there. It's not a freedom that's... I've known people who have been angry with God. Um, and their anger led them to take, make certain decisions that was like, I'm done with you, God. Right? You didn't do what I wanted. You didn't come through with me when I needed you to. And so they said, We're, I'm done. I don't have an answer for that, right? I, I get it. I don't think it helps in any way. Still sit in the same awful sort of spot. But I've known people who have done that. So I'm not saying we want to get angry with God in order to just say, I'm going to tell you what I think so I can just feel better and then move on. But it's something that we can begin to understand the character and the power and the goodness of God. God rushed to Cain in his anger. He moved towards him in his anger and engaged in a conversation. And this doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't make it any more uncomfortable. It actually makes it more painful for us to address these things. But I want to invite you to do so. To ponder your inner world. Psalm 42.5 says, Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? 
Do you know what's going on inside of you and the anger that's coming up? Are you allowed to feel it and engage it? I want to invite us to listen and to ponder in order that we can be moved to the deeper issues of what our hearts are doing with God and with others. Uh, the key today is we're not going to try to actually change our emotions. Right? We, we have them. We're just trying to listen to them. And some of them are dark. And even though these emotions are brought up by people, and we think, ah, oh, it's just purely between people, as I've said before, it always reveals something about how we're dealing with God. And so the questions that I want us to be asking, pondering, and being provoked by with our anger is, what's going on here? But also, what am I doing with God? Because either you're being repelled, you're moving closer to God in dependence, but also in that conflict of saying, I don't like where we are, but I'm moving towards God, or you're moving away. And I tell you what, I have spent a lot of days this last year not being honest about my anger towards God, but yet if you ask me the question, Bo, are you moving, are you moving closer to God, expressing your anger and showing dependence, or are you moving away? And I'd be like, well, I'm moving away. Why are you moving away? Because I'm mad at God, right? I- I'm angry at the circumstances. I don't even want to get into it, right? Yeah, but yet God is saying, get into it with me. Come, let me have it. Come. And yet that question about understanding the orientation of our heart helps us to understand sometimes the distance that we're having with people and God. Why? Because I'm angry. And so if you're like me and you haven't been able to voice that, may God allow us to begin to ponder and to begin to voice it. When I was going to therapy and trying to start up again, but as Nate said, man, so good. When this stuff with anger is going to pull up, we encourage it, man, everywhere. Therapy is so good to help us ask those questions, right? To say that. And this was my biggest conversations. Even Carmel knows. So she, she knows that it, it's hard when somebody is sick, right? And you feel bad for being angry at the circumstances of your life. You feel worse to know that your wife's not doing good and to be angry with them. You, you just, you know, you, you just feel like a jerk. I felt like a jerk for being angry, but I was angry. I was angry. I feel like she was trying hard enough or making doctor's appointments or making good decisions. Right. And so you just get angry, even though I would be like, gosh, this isn't your fault. But yeah, I'm still angry. But in the end, it was pointing to God. We need help, those people that ask that questions. What's going on here? And what am I doing with God? And it's going to be painful to feel, right? These, these, these ponderings, they drive us into reality. We're listening for the direction of our heart, the direction that we're moving in. What am I doing with God? Am I moving towards God or away from God? So right now, what would you say? Are you moving towards God or away? There's all kinds of circumstances in your life, and I guarantee that anger is a root of a part of it. In some way or in something, are you moving closer in dependence, even in the mess? Are you moving away? Answer that. 
please answer that in your heart. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But, but give an answer. All, Dan Allen says, all anger is related to the question, is life just? And if we're going to make it really personal, we'll change life to God and say, is God just? We're being invited to enter this pain of our hurt without apology or compromise. Is God just? And that's what we're going to begin to present to God in our anger. God, are you just? Are you good? Do you intervene? Because what provokes my anger is usually the interference with satisfaction. Something's being blocked from, I'm blocked from gaining what I want and I'm forced to wait. I'm helpless. And it stops me moving towards satisfaction or towards good. Right? It, it, something steps in and, and blocks the good that is coming. Our anger seems utterly justified when our desires are not satisfied because of injustice. Sickness is injustice, right? Death is injustice. Cancer is injustice. Like, what's going on in this world? Not to mention the harm that's caused by other people. These things provoke. Our, our dark anger, right? It delivers us from trusting a God who does not comply with our desires. Do you get that? God, you're not complying with my desires. I'm really angry with you. You haven't done what I've done because I'm asking you to do it now and you don't seem to be moving. But when we rage against God, we kind of expect that maybe when we rage against God, that he's going to come down with some fire. But it's the opposite of that. He doesn't rage back against us. When we're angry with God, when we yell at God, when we demand God to move on our account, we might expect judgment anticipating his rage to turn upon us, but he does the opposite. He turns towards us. If we actually understand the character of God, then we would understand that God not only doesn't turn judgment upon us, he takes all the judgment of the world and the consequences were, and he turns it upon himself. Who is this God? And so, for the remainder of this today, to kind of get some movement for it today if we can. What are we supposed to do with our anger now? The anger that I have, the anger that you have. Um, do we just try to identify the anger that's dark as opposed to the anger that isn't dark, the holy anger? Because there's holy anger. That's the anger towards sin and brokenness in this world that moves us to step into God's good in the world that longs for reconciliation and redemption, right? So are we just trying to identify the bad stuff and, and choose to do something differently in that and that's, that's not bad. That's probably pretty good, but we actually want to go a step further. So I want to give you the three things in your anchor to do. And this is from the Psalms. 
a book where anger was a part of the worship. And the first one is this, be still. Dan Allen would them call this anger detox. Psalm 37, 7 and 8 says this, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. So the psalm says this, Be still. Um, that is awful, right? <laughs> this, that, that's not fun. And so when I'm invite, what that is being, what you're invited into there is, is so difficult to be still and not, because anger is driving you towards action to do something. And yet this psalm and the words of God is saying, be still. Meaning that, see, anger is this catalyst that stirs us towards battle, right? And sometimes, right, but most of the battles that anger will draw us into are not worthy of our blood. Unrighteous anger, dark anger will never deepen our heart for God or others unless we're willing to go through anger detox. So be still. Sit in your rage. Let it blow against, this is what Dan says, let it blow against you like a strong wind and a harsh rain. Let its fury soak you in the sweat of desire. Does that sound like fun? That's work, right? That's, so be still. It's not a stillness of zen, right? It's not like, oh, I'm going to push this out of my head. No, it's like saying, be still. Sit with it. Acknowledge it. I'm mad. I'm angry. Call it. Name it. Identify. Point to it. Oh, yeah, it's there. But be still. Number two, it says this. Wait. Be still and wait. So take a time out. Right? That's another way of saying this. In the midst of helpless confusion and hurt, Our dark anger, it refuses to surrender, right? To wait on God, to look for God's perspective. Instead, we feel like we need to take justice in our hands. We need to actually do something. We need to respond immediately, actively, and up front. We need to respond, taking justice in our hands, when the one we cry to for justice does not hear or respond. To wait means we have confidence that God will bring justice. See, God will satisfy the depths of our desire. But it'll happen in God's time, not ours. So you will continue to struggle with confusion in this. By asking, they said, God, as I wait, what are you doing? Right? So wait and ask that question. What are you doing? But this confusion will direct the heart towards God and not away from God. What are you doing? 
as we move towards God, rather than triggering this flight from doubt or the dogma that we think we, how we understand God, and we begin to explain away all the hardness of life, and it'll create an absence of an opportunity to learn about God's character. So be still and wait. Wait for God. Step into the confusion. God, what are you doing? And so in this, we're not denying nor pretending that we're not angry or it doesn't hurt. But Dan and them say that we are entering this moment into the rage so they'll come to the surface. The fury against God for requiring us to wait to see his justice and goodness. That choosing to be still opens the heart to even deeper dimensions of anger that go beyond the situation to the God who seems to be silent with John, withdrawn or against us. So let it go to that deeper place. And so here's the big thing, right? The purpose of waiting is to drive us into deeper battle with God. So be still to wait. Psalm 37 and the third part is this. Ponder. Ponder. Psalm 4.4 says this. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. And so there's three things that we can ponder. Because this pondering, see, that anger should lead us into silent ponder, pondering rather than direct action. We should ponder our desire. And that question could look like this. Um, what, do you, what do you really want? Is your desire to control, consume, or destroy? Those are sometimes the dark anger. I want to control this situation completely. I want to consume everything that is for my good, and I'm going to take it and hoard it. Or I want to annihilate anybody who has caused me harm. Or is your desire to warn, invite change, or to wound with truth for the sake of bringing redemption and reconciliation? So ponder your desire. What's going on? What are you, what are you wanting here? The other part we can ponder is our own sin. This is what Jesus tells us to do. In Matthew 7, verse 3 to 5, it says, Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take out the log of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. So you can ponder your own sin. You can begin to reveal your own brokenness, your own things as you're angry. That sin that wants to take control, that wants to hoard, that wants to pull in, we can ponder these things. If we despise the sin of others and the brokenness of others in this world more than our own, man, we will always, always be in trouble of judging and having this darkness of heart that is so ugly within the souls of humanity. But if we have, if we hate, right, and despise the sin of our own heart in our own hearts, more than we see in others. We'll grow in this sort of quiet, patient sorrow. This sort of true righteousness, righteous anger looks like. To ponder your own sin. And the third pondering of this one would be this, to ponder God. 
And I think this is the crucial part of it. This is the part we're trying to wrestle with God's character in this. It's the pondering of God in our own anger and rage over life. It's the pondering of God that says when you're angry with God and you're raging against God and you're mad at God and confused by what God is doing in this world and your own life, and you begin to ponder how he responds, how God responds to this. What type is a God who would take the fist-smashing anger and receive it? The fist-smashing anger and receive it against himself. All the sin, the brokenness, and the judgment. What type of God would do that and not retaliate with violence? So we have a God who doesn't do that. Even when there is judgment because people choose death and sin over life, God weeps over them. Weeps over their choices to choose death and destruction over life. This is a God who doesn't retaliate with violence. But yet in the midst of violence and hatred and sin and brokenness, he turns all that brokenness and anger and hate and sin upon himself and self-sacrificial love. Who is this God? The plan before eternity that was, that was conceived by the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit decided beforehand how this would take place in order to free the world of the injustice and the hatred and the harm and the sin. It was decided the Father would hand over the Son and the Son would bear the pain of sin upon himself. He would be delivered into the hands of violent people who would, in their anger and their hatred, pour out judgment upon Jesus. This was decided as the Godhead came together for how redemption would take place. Self-sacrificial love would be what it would be. We will turn all injustice upon ourselves and bear the weight and the price of it in order to set people free from the brokenness of this world because if not this, all is consumed. All are helpless. But yet God in his love says the only way is to pour it all. To turn towards God himself and pour out the judgment of sin and death and shame upon God, the person of Jesus. It was agreed upon that Jesus would be handed over to sinful men. How can this be? Romans 5, 6 and 8, it says, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, God died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I think when we ponder God, when we begin to look at all of this, when we begin to ponder the cross, right? So you kind of look up there at that sign. It, it, to really look at it, it's really kind of ugly, right? And all of its ugliness, the death of Jesus upon it. It reflects the sin that God is bearing for us all. And so the cross really kind of tells us what we're like. Broken and sinful, mean, vindictive, backbiting, vengeful. We abandon 
We forsake, we lie, we distort, right? It, the cross tells us, uh, it, it reveals our sin because we see God upon it we look through it. But it also tells what God's like when we look through the cross with faith. Here's what God's like. In all of our rebellion, here's what God's like. So when we ponder God, it's not the God who is distanced, but in all of our brokenness, we see what God is like. And we look through that cross and we see that a God who turns upon himself in self-sacrificial love. When we look through the cross through faith, we see God stepping an infinite distance to become this ugliness of broken humanity, sin, right? The ugliness of the cross, he becomes it. The beauty of God is that God is willing to become this ugliness in order to redeem us. A humble God Greg Boyd, he uses this language, a humble God who is willing to stoop this low to take on our sin. When we begin to ponder this is what our God's like in our rage, it brings sort of like this hope to the soul. And we're invited to continue to do this. What's God like? When we're mad and we're angry, does he run from us? No, he invites us to come near. He says, I take every bit of sin upon myself. I believe there's hope in this kind of pondering. And I pray and I invite you to say yes to it if you're in that spot of anger in order to be still, to wait, and to ponder. May God give you courage to do so. Come Holy Spirit and breathe upon us today. Amen. As we close, we're just gonna, we, I want to invite the team. I, I have communion prepared. Um, and... I know that it's, so it's a, so guys, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, um, communion is a pondering of what God's done, right? It's a pondering of God's love for us. And so I want to invite us to partake in this. You came out in the snow and the ice. We might as well stick around a little bit longer and worship and take communion, right? I mean, we're here. So. This is a pondering in the physical activity of eating the cracker and with the juice that references Jesus' blood. It's a pondering of God's response to the brokenness of the world, to your own brokenness, and his remedy for life. So yet the cross was saying that sin was there and there's brokenness and there's injustice, but the resurrection says there's new birth and there's redemption and there's reconciliation even when we can't understand it. And even though I'm mad about Carmel's health, right, and I wish she could breathe, and I'm mad at the roofer and I'm mad that, oh man, I'm, I, I'm taking more money out against our house and all these kinds of things. It's just money. Right? And, and yet here's a God who's saying, there's life. I'm not withholding it. It's for you today. Ponder my love for you. Come, come, uh, don't, abandonment will do nothing for you, and I haven't abandoned you. This is what this says. Not only have I not abandoned you, I love you. And with your rage and your rebellion, either you're fighting against God or you're flighting from God, this is what he's done in response to us. I'll pay the price for you. I love you.
I want to be with you. I want to speak life into all of the hard that is current. Right? We sat in there and Tom was so vulnerable with me this morning and said, eight days from now, I will have to remember for the third time the day that my wife's life was taken. It is the worst day, October 20th, 2017. There is no darker day. Right? And I say, yep. Yep. Awful. And then, and I, and I don't want to sound even trite, but I know you love Jesus. Right? And sometimes it comes across so trite. And so I remind you of a darker day that because of that dark day of Jesus, Mo is embraced, not abandoned, forgotten, left, decaying, annihilated, right? That Gary is not forgotten, alone, abandoned in the grave. That Foster is not alone, right? Man, that Graceland is not done because of Jesus, because in the resurrection, there's life. So we ponder that. Oh man, let it be. So I invite us in the midst of our anger, brokenness and pain, to ponder Jesus. And, and to look through that cross, see our sin and our brokenness and the God who embraces us and who runs near us. And all that through eating a cracker and dipping it into juice. It is rich, rich. And so I invite you to ponder. And I, I, so I give you this physical activity that can embrace this mental and physical and spiritual pondering. That would be a pondering of Jesus' broken body for us and the injustice of the world, the blood shed that could bring life and justice to everything that's been broken. And it will come. It is coming. And maybe as you eat today, it will come today. May it be. These are reminders of pondering the broken body of Jesus and his love for us. If you want to come and take it, you can. There's no order to it. If this would be invited, the table is open as a way to ponder the gracious love of Jesus, the gracious love of the Father, the gracious embrace of the Holy Spirit. And so I invite you to stand, sing, and let's partake. Thank you, God. You've given us something physical that we can do and take that helps us ponder your love. In the midst of hard brokenness and anger and pain that says, God, what are you doing now? What's going on? Thank you that you're here. Amen. Come and dip the cracker into the juice if you want. But you can come and you dip in and then eat the cracker as you dip it. Come.
yourself Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling is calling bring your sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born Jesus is calling oh come to the altar Just blood of Jesus Christ. 